Hi, welcome to Bookie. To unlock more world-class bestseller, please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. You will get 7 days free trail with more features. Today we'll unlock the book Year Zero, A History of 1945. On the first day of September 1939, shellfire swept across the European continent with lightning speed. It then spread to all corners of the world, including Asia, the Atlantic, and the Pacific. The most massive war in human history enshrouded 61 countries, and more than 2 billion people around the world in the smoke of gunpowder. It didn't end until 1945. In the eyes of the author Ian Baruma, the year of victory 1945 was year zero for the beginning of the modern world, namely the starting point of the new world. Baruma is a famous writer from the Netherlands. His father is Dutch, and his mother is a German Jew living in Great Britain. Due to his cross-cultural family background, Ian who was born in a time of peace developed a keen interest in world history. He once studied at Leiden University in the Netherlands, majoring in Chinese literature and history. He then lived in Asia for many years and mastered six languages. English, German, Dutch, French, Japanese and Chinese. This experience gave him a unique perspective in writing that goes beyond the bounds of race and history. His books always focus on the forgotten corners of history. He doesn't write to praise the great men of the past, whom we all know very well. Instead, he boldly pulled back the veil and composed little-known historical repertoires one after another. The Year Zero, a history of 1945 which we will uncover today will lead us through the year 1945, a world of complete devastation after the war. The year 1945, the author argues, wasn't just the year of victory over the fascists. In this year, we saw the lust for liberty that people were wildly celebrating after liberation. Everyone reveled in the intoxicating joy of celebration. Meanwhile, both the victorious and defeated sides suffered from hunger, but the side that was occupied and slaughtered during the war also felt determined to avenge themselves. Additionally, the new world had arrived, and nothing would be the same as before. People's minds were awakened by the baptism of shellfire, and various conflicts collided in year zero. At the intersection of the new and old world, everything was complicated and volatile. What did the beginning of the modern new world look like in 1945? How can we prevent history from repeating itself? The Year Zero, A History of 1945, the book we will discuss today will clear up these questions. Next, we'll discuss its core contents in three sections. Section 1, After World War II, What Were the Conditions Like Around the World? Section 2, Clearing Up the Post-War Rubble? Section 3, How to Prevent History from Repeating Itself? Okay, let's talk about Section 1 first. What did the world look like after the war? When this long-lasting war ended in 1945, the events around the world could be described as wild. Due to the fear of being left behind, countries scrambled to begin their celebrations. While the British people were already busy toasting bread and making sandwiches to celebrate the victory, Stalin still hoped to delay victory in Europe Day until May 9th. He was filled with an uncontrollable rage, because Eisenhower privately accepted Germany's surrender. The Dutch were already crying and hugging Allied soldiers in the streets, thanking them profusely for liberating them. 
They also dug up their gardens in order to shower Allied vehicles with flowers. Half a million people took to the streets of New York to celebrate the victory. The curfew was officially lifted, nightclubs were overcrowded, while bars were open all night long. The bustling crowds held the Allied flags high on the Place de la République, near the Arc de Triomphe, and people sang Marseillaise loudly in unison. Englishmen surrounded the gate of Buckingham Palace like a human pyramid, and enormous crowds of people flocked to the Parliament Square. Churchill ignored Stalin's wish to arrange the VE Day on the 9th, and delivered the message on BBC Radio to the world on May 8 at 3 p.m. Unwilling to lag behind Churchill, President Truman gave a speech in advance to declare victory. General Charles de Gaulle was afraid of Churchill stealing the limelight from him, and insisted on making his announcement to the French at the same time. Until the early morning of the 9th, the citizens of Moscow flocked to the streets in nightgowns and pajamas, danced and cheered to the night sky, victory, victory. To some extent, the experience of Allied soldiers in the liberated nations in that summer of 1945, was similar to the Beatles' visit two decades later. But the ways of expressing liberation at that time were even more fanatical, and foremost among them was reflected in the love between men and women. In some European countries, such as France, the Netherlands, and Belgium, due to the lack of supplies during wartime and the occupation by enemy troops, male survivors in these countries were either locked up or forced to do heavy and dirty work. They had long been malnourished, impoverished, and demoralized. The occupation of their country by foreigners had already stripped the men of dignity and authority, at least temporarily. On the contrary, the Allied forces that liberated Europe were well-fed and well-paid. American soldiers were tall and mighty, while Canadian soldiers looked clean and tidy. Their presence was rejuvenating for European women and reawakened their passionate feelings. The women watched Canadian tanks for the first time. As the soldiers exited their tanks, the women felt all the blood drained from their bodies and lost their breath. In their eyes, these Canadian soldiers were like saints, Christ, and saviors. Women of the liberated countries felt their passion ignited by these handsome and alluring Allied soldiers. They flocked to fraternize with them. Nothing would be more appropriate than the words of a Dutch woman who said, let's face it after what we had been through, the Canadians look delicious. As a result, the women and Allied soldiers frequently visited nightclubs and bars all night long. In these countries, women gain not only satisfaction, but also tangible benefits from fraternizing with the Allied soldiers, who gave generously and treated the local people kindly. The most realistic description of this aspect of history with strong sexual connotation, was given by the French woman writer Benoit Gru. She lost her husband during the war and lived independently. Therefore, Gru was seen by Frenchmen as terribly homanized or manlike. But in the eyes of Americans, Gru was very charming. Gru and her sister even wrote a novel called Journal in Four Hands, which specifically recounted how the two sisters conquered the American soldiers. They called such a pastime American hunting exploits. In Gru's writing, the physical descriptions of the Allied soldiers were meticulous. She recounted her conquests and the way some men bragged about picking up babes. In her novel the nightclubs she frequented were described as slave markets. But the slaves were the conquering heroes. During this period, men and women sought out each other for warmth, passion, and even marriage, 
and the fertility rate surged. Many women also followed their new husbands to foreign countries. But in a defeated nation, such as Japan, things were different. Prostitution became legal in Japan as a result of losing the war. When Japan invaded other Asian countries, they carried out mass rape, dismemberment, and brutal killings of women. In areas under Japanese control, local women were kidnapped on a large scale to serve as so-called comfort women, meaning sex slaves in Japanese comfort houses. These women were often subjected to inhumane rape and atrocious torture. The Japanese government and military propaganda were worried that the victorious nations would commit the same atrocities against Japanese women. So, for the sake of appeasing the garrisoned allies, the Home Ministry publicly recruited women on the radio to become comfort women, calling on women to sacrifice their bodies as a patriotic duty. A big dance hall in Tokyo had a sign that read, Patriotic Girls, assist the reconstruction of Japan by serving as dance partners. Baruma noted in the book, it must have been a sordid business. Recreation and amusement facilities were set up in such a hurry that there were no beds to accommodate. Sexual intercourse took place wherever space could be found. In the following months, a brothel known as the International Palace was erected to offer sex on a kind of assembly line. For the Japanese government to have such a concern was unnecessary. Contrary to the government's propaganda about the barbarian rapists and killers, most Japanese gradually discovered that the military discipline of the Allies was much better than they had thought, especially compared with their soldiers, who carried out rape and plunder overseas. In the words of one woman writing in the respectable women's magazine Fujin Gaho, I find them courteous, friendly, carefree and perfectly at ease. What a sharp and painful contrast to the haughty, mean, and discourteous Japanese soldiers, who used to live in the barracks near my home. Contrary to the Japanese attitude, the German authorities placed a ban on fraternization with the conquering troops. Nevertheless, the people's secret desires were growing stronger day by day. Many of the German women ignored the prohibition to have sex with the conquering troops. A German waitress said she wouldn't touch German men, they are too soft, they are not men anymore, in the past they showed off too much. No matter how much controversy and turmoil this situation caused in various countries, there was no doubt that it was a form of sexual liberation. This also signified a breakthrough for women's liberation. However, along with this long-lasting grand triumph came famine. When people looked back at the ruin that was their countries, they realized that there wasn't enough supplies and food to fill their stomachs. Since the food couldn't be obtained through regular channels, the black market became a popular place. Among the black markets, the French one was the most lively. It was even said that without the black markets, French people couldn't have survived. This was because in World War II, the fully occupied France was in ruins and starvation claimed countless lives. Due to long-standing malnourishment, even respectable professors at French universities wore suits that appeared at least two sizes too large. These intellectuals could only explain with a wry smile that they had been living for two months without recourse to the black market. Still, the most horrendous circumstances didn't take place in France, but in the hellish concentration camps. After the war, the British appeared in Bergen-Belsen, and brought a lot of army rations, such as ham, bacon, sausage, and steak. 
They had never seen anything like what they saw there and had little idea what to do. They could only hope that the tormented people would find a bit of comfort in the delicious food. But their charitable deed didn't have the desired outcome. For many of these survivors their stomachs had already ulcerated, and it was impossible to digest the food. They wolfed down the rations, but the food went right through their body, and about 2,000 people died as a result. This was a great tragedy. The situation of the victorious nations was already miserable, let alone that of defeated Germany and Japan. All public services had broken down, and the economy of entire countries had ceased to function. Even many urban dwellers in Japan had to depend on airlifted food for survival. Japanese novelist Nosaka Akiyuki described in his novel American Hijik, that American bombers dropped a steel drum attached to a parachute. At first, many people thought it was a bomb. But after watching the steel drum for a long time, nothing happened. So, the hungry people then pried open the steel drum and found food parcels. Inside the steel drum was bread, chocolate, and chewing gum. The Japanese children chomped on the chewing gum for days, passing on the hardened tasteless morsels from mouth to mouth. The hijiki mentioned in the name of the novel referred to the stuff in the airlifted parcel. The villagers assumed it to be seaweed or hijiki in Japanese. In reality, the brownish stuff was dark tea leaves. Although it was difficult to swallow, people still devoured the whole bag of tea leaves. The reality at the time was that, apart from waiting for the relief from the victorious nations, they simply couldn't satisfy their hunger on their own. Ironically, these relief supplies which the victorious nations pinched and saved, were eventually seized by senior military officers and their civilian cronies. Later the goods found their way onto the black markets. Many former war criminals became insanely rich after the war. In contrast, ordinary people were forced to pay high prices for items that were meant for them in the first place. At the same time, the brewing sentiment of revenge after the war also began to slowly erupt it. Some survivors from the concentration camps imprisoned ordinary German civilians, and tortured these innocent Germans using an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth principle. Some victims had even helped the survivors. Furthermore, having been ordered to care for the wounded, some German nurses entered the ward, and shrieking patients abruptly tried to stab the nurses with knives and forks, or with any instrument at their disposal. In some cities that had been taken over by the Allies, the liberated survivors seemingly heeded the Allies' advice to behave legally in their treatment towards the Nazis. But when the Allies turned around and left, the Nazi lackeys would be dragged out of their beds and beaten in a fit of rage. After this, many people would simply die on the ice-cold concrete floor. For the Soviets, revenge sentiments had spread to ordinary German women. They believed that raping women in public was the best means of vengeance to insult the Germans. The anonymous female author of A Woman in Berlin recorded her harrowing experience with a paper and pen. The Soviet soldiers repeatedly raped the female writer as others awaited their turn. The female author could feel the anger of these soldiers. They threw her onto the bed, and forced open her jaw to spit into her mouth. This thirst for revenge was because the Soviet soldiers had been called Unterminskan by the Nazis during the war, and had suffered considerable humiliation. In the words of a senior Soviet officer, in the first flush of victory, our fellows no doubt derived a certain satisfaction from making it hot for those Heron folk women.
They sought pleasure from looting, while regaining their masculinity by humiliating the women of their enemies. In one instance, Czechs packed more than 10,000 German civilians into the Straw football stadium, where the civilians were gunned down for amusement, until the green lawn was dyed red with blood. This hatred stemming from past events had not lessened over time, but was increasingly imprinted on the minds of these victims. The revenge at that time wasn't just the vengeance of the oppressed on the oppressors, but was also inflicted by the suffering people on more vulnerable groups and an expression of human evil. When the Jews who had suffered the most severe persecution during the war were released from concentration camps, they were also maniacally oppressed by people in Poland and other countries. They assumed that the Jews were extremely rich. Even if the Jews had been imprisoned in concentration camps, the Poles still believed that the Jews had hidden their wealth. Many innocent Jews were plundered and murdered, and the rise of the new Polish bourgeoisie originated from this. At a mass grave where more than 800,000 Jews had been killed, thousands of local peasants dug in search of skulls, from which they might still be able to extract some gold teeth overlooked by the Nazis. The aforementioned events happened around the world in the year of 1945. The aftermath of World War II was so vast and influential that nobody could have predicted it. Since then, we usually focus on the victorious and joyous side of World War II and ignore the hidden turmoil. But this was also a product of this war. Next, how do we clear up the rubble caused by the war? Today we are just sharing limited bookie. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller, please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. You will get 7 days free trail with more features.